This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. our rice and our guest today is charles blackstone (laughs) you know i haven't gone back to listen to see about this cheering thing because i forget by the time i get done with the episode whether they're doing the cheering thing okay let's talk about what we're drinking real quick i have an old school i'd say that because we have a new cup drinking with father's cup and oh wow yeah no you get swag for being on our show you're going to get swag. It, that's how it works. Cause we're the cool hosts and we have swag. You get <laughs> um, but I put orange juice. I, I drove for 10 hours today from oh. Philadelphia back to North Carolina. Yeah. It's it. I don't know why I plan these things like this, not proud of myself, but um, this has orange juice in it and lightning. And we all know lightning. how I feel about it. <laughs> So Skunk Brother Spirit <laughs> makes a moonshine called Lightning, and they recommended I mix it with um, lemonade, and I started mixing it with orange juice, and I'm quite happy about it. So Skunk Brother Spirits, DWA10 coupon code, live in the dream. I also got water because I may die from what I've done here, so that's entirely <laughs> possible. Um, CR, what are you drinking today? Which one of the horsemen have you brought to bear? <laughs> Well, so I'm still doing pestilence, which is the green tea and vodka. I think it's my favorite one. I still cannot figure out death. The couple of, of mixes I've done literally taste like death. So that one's on the back burner for right now. Okay. Pestilence. Got it. Green tea. It's healthy. It's healthy. It's kind of like my little mm-hmm. here. Look at us. Yep. Healthy people. Just kidding. Charles, what are you drinking? <laughs> now, see, I wish I had brought a fancier cup. Your cup uh, is way fancier than glass. ours. <laughs> But yours, yep. yours is rugged. Um, I brought rosé um, because it's almost the summer and rosé goes with everything. And this one happens to be from here in New York, from the North Fork of Long Island, from a winery called Wolfer Estate, which that is bottle beautiful. is amazing. That bottle is and so the bottle gorgeous. Is beautiful, and it's called Summer in a Bottle, which, you know, what more could you ask for? That's true. I often say that to myself. Mark, I need somewhere in a bottle. <laughs> okay, Charles, for those out there that may not know, what do you write? That I should have had a glass of wine before taking that question. Well, we all um, say that to ourselves. <laughs> um, what do I? I uh, the books I've written are uh, novels. Um, well, that's how like, <laughs> let's just let's go with genre of the novels yeah um you know set in contemporary times usually um you know characters have cell phones and um I guess for the most part do are they um, horror I, are they sci-fi or like where, where, where are you going with that it's that category, you know, that, um, you know, people call literary, where it's just, uh, you know, it can pull from any of those genre elements. Um, I don't pull from a lot of them, but maybe I do. Um, 
when you did know, you start writing when did you like, start writing like like professionally no like what well yes that's a question but when did you start <laughs> going you know what i want to be a writer i i don't know when that happened but i do know that i had a poem appear in the sixth grade yearbook um, about a tree and it was it was a surprise to me. I didn't know that it um, had left you know the the realm of the assignment and somehow made it to the yearbook people. It was very exciting. It was next to a drawing of a tree um, by by a, a girl a grade ahead um, who would later become a character on the Real World Hawaii, if you remember that season. That's so uh, weird. Like, <laughs> so, um, and and I think she also had a has had a, a a brief career as a as a, a street artist. I think that's oh, wow. the term you use. So, but it was you know it was a tree, and that was that was pretty much the end of my career um, as a, a naturalist. I see. Okay. Uh, but it seemed to have prompted me into thinking about. Um, words on <laughs> sentences so, on on the page when did you did you grow up wanting to be a writer or was it just something that later happened in life like when did you arrive at a published novel well but i mean back to the these very early memories um i remember being interested in movies and plays and um you know in tv of course um you know, dramatic um, TV. I don't, I don't know why a, a 10 year old uh, was watching some of those 80s movies that I, I, I like so those much. Some of those 80s movies are to live by. <laughs> yeah, um, there, shouldn't be, there shouldn't be a reason for that. But, you know, it was the, the era of the, um, we didn't really have cable or, or TV reception, but at one brief glorious point, there was Showtime that had its own box. And um, I was able to to record on VHS, um, you know, many of these movies, and we'll watch them You're over and over and over again. Using all these terms, listeners might not understand. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm totally they kidding. used to be. Uh, it's you know, it's, it was it was what we we uh, considered, I guess, streaming. But you know, streaming meant you 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 looked at the TV guide and you're like, hey, I can see this, or you just randomly stumbled on something. Um, sometimes you'd set something to record you know, into the night and then find another movie attached to it. It was great. And I would watch these things over and over and over again. And I was, you know, I was always interested in how they were constructed. Um, you know, staging was very interesting to me. Um, some of these movies were um, adaptations of stage plays. And, you know, that I think, you know, took, took some, some, uh, some residence in my head. Um, but, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the kind of reader that I would have liked to have been. Um, you saw earlier, what you see behind me are some books, and then, I don't know if you caught the... Uh, yeah, the epic the, bookshelves. Yeah. Oh, that's epic. Brooklyn, I appreciate it. And I, the Screaming Child, that. Brooklyn and Screaming Child. <laughs> yeah. As we take a tour. <laughs> yeah, explore with me. Uh, so I, you know, I, I wasn't, I, and I you know, I, di I didn't really um, 
sort of like the character of this novel, Vintage Attraction, I considered myself kind of um, raising myself. So nobody really stepped in and said, this is something you should do. This is this something you shouldn't do? Why is it a struggle? And it wasn't, it wasn't the comprehension or, you know, reading. I mean, I read lots of stuff. I read the wrong stuff, according to my first grade teacher. I read the phone book. I read ads. Um, at one point, I was reading the, the newspaper, I think I was nine, and um, had a grandfather living with us briefly, and, you know, would read, and, and he had a um, vision impairment, so I would read the paper to him. So I was, you know, I was reading from a very young age, um, but not, you know, in the sense of, um, you know, books and stories. And I later, I, I this pretty much um, was my story until, um, you know, until like high school, when I when I discovered that um, you know basically this literary fiction, I, I introduced myself to some of those um, you know the Brett back authors and uh, was was you know kind of had the the feeling that I think um, you know I, I would have wanted to have with the you know the stuff that came to me as a child, where you know brought into a world, I was very excited about it. I you know you know kind of put on that that virtual reality suit that i think is is uh you know key to both being a really good reader and you know being a writer and you know then then something clicks and you know then around that time too i you know started um you know trying to um write <laughs> write like these books and and then it just it kind of stuck with me well that's very cool when did your first novel come out First novel, uh, 2004. So oh, wow. 20, 20, um, 26-ish. Uh, you know, a lot of those, those 80s authors that I idolized, um, you know, and some, some um, nonfiction writers like um, Elizabeth Wurzel, you know, all had these books come out um, <laughs> before they were 30. So I remember thinking that was something important, um, you know, funny how time changes now it's like I would just like uh sentences <laughs> at any time at any age like there's no um you know, so no limit what was your first book then that came out so the first book ooh, I should not spill, spill the rosé in the process of this um it was called the week you aren't here um set in uh the char the character's the, the months leading up to his college graduation, um, like in the early 2000s. And I began working on this when I was in my last months of college in the early 2000s. And, um, you know, so autobiographical elements, uh, which I had been, you know, I had been, I had been playing with, um, you know, to some extent in the, um, you know, the apprentice work, I guess you could say that I was doing. I'm going to turn on a light just in case. Okay. Is that too, is that too bright? I don't know. No, no, not at all. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so that happened and, and it, it involved the character um, wanting to, to go to grad school. And I was also, also wanted to go to grad school. So, you know, I, I had a draft completed before I went and then I went and worked on it while I was there in um, Colorado and Boulder in the writing program for two years and um, at the end 
um, you know, I was able to to get. Uh, it was actually it actually first came out in the UK. Oh wow! Oh. It, didn't, it it didn't look like this. I should have brought over the other one um, <laughs> from the shelves, but it uh, it came out in the UK, and you know, it's just so funny about. Um, you know, like the, the state of sort of like, um, you know, indie publishers and, you know, what they could do back then versus now. Um, back then, you know, print on demand was, a, you know, was a, was kind of a viable business model for a lot of them because they didn't want to print, you know, 5,000 copies of a book and have to, you know, warehouse it. Um, this particular now defunct uh, British publisher had sort of an idea of, um, you know, a different model, you know, something resembling, um, you know, involving the internet <laughs> to whatever oh, wow. it existed at that time. And so, um, you know, they did what it did, what it did. Um, you know, they were new. I was new. Um, they, I liked, I liked the cover art. <laughs> they had a, somebody, you know, I guess read the manuscript and draw something and, um, kind of fun. So um, but, how did you find then, that indie publisher? Um, this one, I think I was just, you know, I think, I think what's, what's, uh, what I knew at the time was because it was, it was sort of like uh, an experimental work, you know, it was, it was kind of, um, you know, self-reflexive and, and, you know, when the autobiographical elements and writing about writing, like all these things are not typically, um, things that appealed <laughs> to uh, mainstream publishers. They say, because people don't want to read them. Um, but I was listening to another author um, who, who just had a book come out that I, I have also to show, talking about how she liked to read them and her character is, is interested in writing. And, you know, some other novels that I've read along the way are set in the, the world of publishing. And, you know, even TV has, has sort of, <laughs> sort of engaged this territory show like younger um even though that world does not resemble the world of publishing as we know it um at least they were pretending right yeah so and you know which which is you know it all i think goes to show that it's not um territory that nobody cares about but you know it was it was um you know very much a 20 something character by 20 something and so I knew that it would have to um, you know it would have to be a you know a, a house that um, was doing you know work like that and so um, you know started sending it sending it around. Um, and, what was the you know, feedback like from that first one? So it went out in the UK what did the UK initially think of it? They were, they liked it. I liked it. I mean, I'm, I'd have to say um, the reviews were like largely positive, um, you know, the, that we were getting. And, you know, it was, it was a lot of, um, a lot of American publications reviewing it. But yeah, I mean, it was, I don't know, I don't know, <laughs> a, kind, a kinder time, um, or maybe, maybe it just kind of, you know, it, it made sense in, in not making a lot of sense. I remember one of the reviews, um, the, uh, the reviewer was like, you know, I read 50 pages and I didn't know what was going on and I gave up on it and that, but you know, I mean, even that was not negative 
review as, as something not something I've seen, seen since then, um, you know, I, I wouldn't consider it. You know, I think that was that was part of what the the character of the book was. You know, it was it was supposed to be kind of this. Um, you know, I sometimes called it like a transcript of this guy's thoughts in his head and very minimal punctuation and um, you know, kind of a lot of uh, jumping. You know, from subject to subject and. Um, so you <clears throat> ended up getting it published in the UK, and then. Simon and Schuster published it in the U.S., right? In, um, another a Brooklyn-based indie, actually, on that one. Okay. Um, so yeah, so they did that, and um, oh, well, I had I had I had um, I had kind of I had reached out to some some writers in this um, you know this experimental postmodern um, you know genre. Uh, some you know books that I had read in grad school and um, you know I think very much informed my thinking even though I had written most of this I guess I had read some of them prior to writing it but as I read more you know I kind of and was revising I kind of understood more of what what was going on or you know what I was after um, you know through that through that process and um I, I reached out to um, a writer um, named Jonathan Bomback, who's who had founded Fiction Collective in the uh, in the '60s, and um, you know wrote you know kind of on the margins <laughs> in this space of um, uh, you know the, the work was kind of self-reflexive and and dense and and and, and you know literary, <laughs> and so. Um, you know, had had trouble publishing that stuff. Traditionally, uh, his one of his kids is the the uh, filmmaker Noah Baumbach. Oh, very. Uh, so anyway, cool. yeah. So and so I was I you know emailed him. I was like, you know, it's it's funny to remember this stuff because it's so um, uh, early <laughs> early era. But you know, sent him an email. I was like, I don't, you know, could you blurb the the book? The book came out in the UK, and um, no, actually, it was for the UK one. So I was like, you know, I got I have this book coming out. Um, would you blurb it? Sent him, you know, like hard copy. Excuse the uh, <laughs> the summer of the uh, dirt bike that was taken taken hold in New York City. Um, I, you know, sent, he's like, send me the manuscript. And, you know, I remember going to print, you know, a uh, copy shop and printing stuff and sending in the mail and, and, you know, wrote me a very, a very lovely little blurb um, comparing the, the work to Kafka. <laughs> and, but what was interesting was then coming, you know, trying to, to see um, if we can get published in the U.S. as, you know, as a, um, you know, an American edition, I, I, I went to the publisher uh, uh, that had published a couple of his books and they, they you know, saw the blurb and they're like, Jonathan Bombeck thinks this is good. Let's give it a shot. I mean, you know, they read it and liked it. But uh, so that was kind of the, the foot in the door um, on that one, which is, um, which is interesting. And yeah, and then the, um, you know, the American, um, you know, edition continued to get some, some intelligent criticism and I, 
you know, I had a colleague from grad school who, who taught it a bunch of times and, um, you know, students would sometimes send me messages and, and you know, seemed, seemed to really dig it. I didn't understand why often because, and this actually I've heard this in, in the context of the other book too, uh, people are, are don't seem like they would have any any particular um you know affinity for this for the subject the characters the the style oh wow they're really well, you know so when does, <laughs> taken when, does, when does the next book come along in this saga then when does book two come along so 2005 um came the the, the u.s edition of the, this one and then I, you know, did, did events and, and publicized it a bit, I guess, um, 2005 uh, into 2006. Um, worked on another one that I did, didn't go anywhere with from like 2000, I guess like the end of 2005, I, I started, you know, trying to pick up something that had started and, and worked on that for a while. And again, um, you know, spent a very long time on it. Um, it was, it was not good <laughs> or not, you know, not going to go anywhere in the, in the state it was in. And I, I was very stubborn about that and, and just kept, you know, writing and rewriting and, uh, you know, So how um, long did, how long did it take you? How long did the first book take you in total to write? Well, the first one I had a draft together, you know, it was kind of like writing in real time. It was like something crazy, like six weeks, you know, um, more or less in the, in the form, you know, of the, the story that, it, that is there. I didn't change much, you know, um, with the plot or, or, you know, anything like that. And then, um, yeah, and then, you know, a couple of years, I guess two years later, um, you know, sending it around. So, you know, editing, um, you know, going back and forth. And then early 2004 was the, the UK edition. So that was, I guess, almost three years, like two and a half years, two and yeah. three quarters years from like very first sentence in a notebook to a copy. <laughs> what about book show. two? How long did that one take you? Well, and then, well, then, so then I worked on something, um, maybe like four years on the thing that, you know, I, I never published and. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, and then started, I guess, as I was, I was, you know, trying to see if I could get it out into the world, you know, would, would an agent want to take this on? Would another indie press want to publish it? Um, I was, I, I guess I had, I had started, <laughs> I guess I'd start like somewhere near the end of that, that cycle, I guess you could say, I started working on the book that came out most recently. And so that was a, like a, a four year process. And then there was a year, um, you know, once it's, once it's sold before that actually comes out. So very years. cool and hold that one up so all of our viewers can see it before <laughs> we jump to break oh where is 
that was Vintage Attraction, which also went through a bunch of different titles during that four or five years working on it. And um, very cool. Well, paperback. Yeah, no, no, it's <laughs> totally fine. Okay, let's do this. Let's jump to break. We'll be right back with Drinking with Authors. Great. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrotherspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to read 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunk. Okay, we're back. Let's talk about vintage attraction. So different than your other story, what is this one about? So vintage attraction is, I have referred to it sometimes as um, one kind of disillusioned academics um, journey, um, falling glass first into the world of wine and love when he meets a sommelier from TV that um, introduces him to um, a much more interesting world than the one he thinks he <laughs> lives in prior to that. And I, yeah, <laughs> has academia in it. It has wine. They end up going off to Greece. It has some travel. So is it like a romance? I think I, I could be. It, could, it has those elements. I mean, it's it sort of it sort of presents a very kind of like fantastic, um, you know, love at first sip kind of a kind of a, a relationship, you know, between two characters. So, in that way, I, I could say, and you know, like an improbable pairing. Of, is there um, is is there romance two. in it? Are they wooing each other? Yeah, I mean the the. The narrative is it a steady decline into alcoholism. Like I'm just trying <laughs> to figure out which one it is. Wait, wait, isn't isn't that dating? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm married, so I don't know. That dating nowadays, I would never. Yeah, no, there'd be a lot more drinking. <laughs> <laughs> it would have to be. I mean, because more day drinking, definitely. Um, they. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it definitely it definitely has that that kind of um, you know he's he's looking for love in all the wrong places at the beginning, and then you know turns on his his cable access TV channel one day and finds this show and it's hosted by. Hold on, so he's not even dealing with a real person; it's a TV personality. 
Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's part of so the They don't <laughs> actually meet. This dude turns on the TV. Well, and that's, I mean, that's, what, that's where he discovers her, and he has to, he has to meet her after, after discovering her. Okay, so then so, he turns into a stalker. Okay. Oh, 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 <laughs> oh, stalker. <laughs> and this, this is like 2000. I guess they start in 2007. So, oh, um, yes, before some of the interweb <laughs> stalking could be possible. Yeah. Okay. Did yeah. you learn? Um. Uh. So you said a sommelier. Did you learn a lot about wine, or did you already know a lot about wine? How did you go down that route of that character? Um. I had similarly, um, though I wasn't. I wasn't. Um. Kind of. Um, you know, at least I don't think a failed writer and um, somebody that just kind of like toiled in low, low paying um, adjunct teaching in a, in a commuter college, like character. Um, I did um, find, you know, um, somebody was hosting a show about restaurants on a public TV and, you know, decided again pre uh pre you know me too <laughs> that uh i should meet this person and send her an email um just like the one that um hapworth sends to izzy and um and she um alpina and then izzy in the book um found it charming <laughs> maybe should have known better and then take and then you know she took up with me and um, somebody in the book takes up with the narrator. It's just so if you you're, you're chronicling dark, you your life dark. is what's <laughs> happening, right? That's what. So these are and real I'll, life stories. Yeah, I mean, you know, they they come from like I mean, I've always said you take you take. Um, I, I I've always said it's all, and I guess this is kind of a good segue into the book. We forgot to mention this uh, anthology that I edited, which is other oh, yeah. people's stuff called The Art of Friction. Um, I was always interested in, uh, you know, the, the fact that the fact that the events, um, you know, were taken from life, whatever that means, um, did not, I, I think, you know, like clear them of the, the work of having to be put on the page and that's mm -hmm. what the, the fictionalizing is to me and so um you know things things might start out resembling something and then what was interesting is through the many drafts um you know some things actually some some things that i i had completely invented like i wanted the two to um I, don't, I think I just wanted them to meet randomly. I, I think I didn't want to do the email thing. And, it, you know, have it be very kind of like stagey and, and old, old black and white movie <laughs> where it was just, you know, at the bar and she turned and they smiled at each other. Uh, it wasn't, people didn't, weren't taking it, <laughs> taking to it. So I had to go back, I guess, to life and say, you know, they, it maybe seemed too, um, too improbable that two people like that would get together. And so then, you know, maybe the email had something to do with it. At least it, it sort of acknowledges that it's the, the craziness of it all. And even after that, um, fast forwarding to once books out in the world, people still, um, you know, some other 
reviewers and readers said like why would this happen <laughs> I was like I don't know it did I mean that that's not an excuse but um you know I think I don't, I don't know there are questions that I wouldn't ask of a of a book you know because you kind of like take the elements and it builds the the reality out of you know what's there just saying, and, if you want to steer into the whole you style skid you have the perfect story thank you to like really go <laughs> into the the like you know what i'm talking about the show you where he goes and like like that's exactly what it, it sounded like that's why i was like wait a second he didn't even meet this chick and then it's like you could totally go dark with it that would be so much fun <laughs> like an alternate <laughs> universe <laughs> Probably like would have been. <laughs> it might have. It might have been a better read if I had done that. Um, what's that actor's name? I forgot. Um, Padge. Padge Bacon. Pat- yeah. Yeah. Um, he's cuter. I, he's cuter than I am, so I don't know if that. Um, everybody always does anything. the flourish in movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so yeah, I have that's, a question for you. Though. Um, you four years to write the book. Why do you feel it took you four years to write the book? Uh, you know, like all those all those revisions. I mean, I also went, uh, you know, kept trying different different structural things. I mean, that's that's part of the problem. I think, you know, the the modern technology is a is a blessing and a curse. You know, because you'd read about, um, you know writers using a typewriter and they get to the end of a draft and then they would start retyping and you know edit that way and and do the entire thing over again basically and um some maybe even didn't even you know transcribe but really just went through the whole thing again that would be great (laughs) but uh you know trying to you know reverse engineer stuff and and change you know again like um structural bits or not really bits but like you know main main structural things um you know it takes takes some time like it was originally in the third person which i really liked but you know people have a hard time with it and like you who, know, are, who are all these people reading your work and telling you they're having a hard time? That's yeah, what like, I want to know. Kind like, of asshole uh, like, message how is second somebody's book? Yeah, how is yeah. this getting dissected <laughs> within in moments? What the hell? Like, how does that happen? It's, Just walk it's, up uh, on you in the street. Sometimes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, you know, I think part of the why, you know, to answer like why does it take so long? You, you do need people you know you do need readers you need you know people who also write people who don't people who read um closely people who don't you know so i mean getting all those people to work with you know hundreds of pages does does take a long time because they have real lives and don't you know want to do it you know, need I'm to hook you ju- up with different beta readers because this is just too long and arduous <laughs> of a process i'm just gonna say having done over 250 uh, of these shows now way too long way too long different beta readers we need to get you a different tribe Um, because this is so long are you working on anything now yeah well one other one other thing i that comes to mind when you when you talk about that um i'm starting i mean we're all starting to read the the fiction set you know in the pandemic era and obviously you know start if you started in march of 2020 like that's an incredibly fast turnaround that you know would not 
leave much room for any drafts because you know these are um at least you know the, the mainstream stuff still having to wait that you know go through that cycle of the year so i mean for something to come out like what are we in um you know like may would mean may 2021 would be like sort of like the the sell it you know be pretty much um in a final draft stage it it depends on who you're selling it to it depends on how you write we have writers that write 10 books a year so yeah. like you know that or writers that take you know three months six months to put out a full-length novel mm. i think every person is different it's yeah. just interesting because this is the first time i've heard so much feedback before the book came to finality mm. you know that and, <laughs> yeah. and i get it and you know beta readers are amazing and awesome and wonderful at the same time you have to make sure you have the right ones so that they're not rewriting your voice and your work on things at least that's that's my opinion Chels thoughts thoughts on this I mean I, I definitely think it comes down to because it's your book so like yeah you want your their opinion as far as does this make sense Do, is this something you'd be interested in but as far as like a constructive criticism type thing, unless it has something to do with the the plot or it's like, hey, you said they were on the street and now all of a sudden they're in the middle of the country, you shouldn't let them rewrite it for you. Like, don't let them critique you to the point that you feel like you have to do all of those revisions because at that point, just tell them to write their own book. Well, I mean, that is, that is <laughs> true. And, you know, when you when you teach, um, when you, when you um, if anything is taken or you know, taught writing workshops, um, yeah, you could you could pass around a chapter to ten different people and get um, you know every other person is going to contradict you know whatever the note is. So yeah, you do you do kind of want to work with people that um, you know know what they're talking about. I mean, there is something to be said. Again, I I do like to get in feedback from just regular readers, you know, who mm -hmm. aren't, don't have PhDs in in English because you know that's important too. And yeah, I mean, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not that they're rewriting it. I mean, you, you, you take in all the feedback and then, you know, you still have to go through like, you know, the seven stages of grief over it. And, um, but, you know, when you are five, hearing something, five. Five, there's five, five stages. Yeah. Oh, no, I was, I was going to say then, you know, you, you know, I, I feel like you, you have to, you know, you, you have to say like, you know, three out of five people said the same thing. And I think something different, like I have to, I you have to consider that, you know, if you're, if you well, are writing for an audience. Story. Well, <laughs> I mean, it is. Writing, like if I came to, like, so it's one of those where, so you're writing a story, like let's say you're writing a story about a puppy and people are just like, you know what, I, I don't like puppies. I, I want a, a book about a cat. Well, cats can't do the same things dogs can, or I want a rabbit. Like it's no longer your story at that point. And then like, wouldn't you lose momentum if your story has changed so much that you basically lost your voice? Like, wouldn't you just kind of get bored with it? I mean, I, I think it still has, I think it still has the voice. I mean, it's, it's really, it's really more of, of you know, really like, you know, plot and story, um, you know, kinds of kinds of things. But I mean, again, maybe they're, they're not always like, cut this, don't have this, but it's like, you know, if somebody's telling you, I got bored of this, 
um, you know, 10 pages in, like you, I mean, if, again, it, you know, if you're writing for yourself, or, you know, family members and friends, it's one thing. Um, but I mean, if you're, if you're writing to, you know, sell, um, you know, manuscripts to, to, uh, you know, publishers and then expect them to want to, you know, do that again with you, um, you know, and not just consider you a, a big financial, <laughs> financial, um, you know, liability, you have to, you have to think about that stuff. You know, yeah, you can't incorporate every single thing, but I mean, it's, 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 it's all useful feedback, I think. I think, you know, this, this goes on in other media too. It's not just, um, you know, with, with writing. I mean, like people make movies and, you know, screen them for different audiences and, and, you know, do different cuts and things like that. It's what's, you know, that stuff can happen faster because, you know, you can, I can sit and watch, you know, your recut of a movie in two hours, but, you know, for me to read a, a whole book, it's um, going to, you know, take longer, longer than that. And then there's just, you know, kind of, um, you know, seeing, seeing the same thing with like minor changes, you know, the, the, the mind kind of just stops being able to see that stuff. So yeah, you need other readers or you need to just make a decision and hope for the best. Makes sense. What are you working on now? Um, I started, um, I, I, I wanted to do some stuff. Well, it's interesting talking about all this, like, you know, real time, um, fodder. I wanted to go into the past, um, and, you know, find something that, you know, was, was, um, you know, taking place, uh, you know, in a contemporary time, but not exactly in the present. And, um, but I wanted to, I want to incorporate something, um, you know, like a, a much younger character coming mm -hmm. from like the night, the nineties into it. And so that's bringing those two stories together. And as I'm working on, you know, um, I haven't really gotten to the old, the old part yet, but it will, um, Please come. tell me we're not calling the eight nineties old. I was about to say, like, come on, bro. Like, like we're not allowed to do that. No, saying the nineties are old. Not yet. I mean, I I still love them, but but you know. <laughs> you can't say the world old. You can say in the recent past. Vintage. Well, we're not vintage. vintage? Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay. Okay, my friend. So are you presently working on something or no? Yeah. So what are you working on? This this uh this novel with the the two timelines. The vintage nineties one? The vintage nineties one. <laughs> that, that's what you should call it. Vintage nineties. People will get a kick out of that title. Don't do that. <laughs> what it would at least get a lot of attention, don't you think, my friend, to say the vintage nineties? <laughs> Okay. Oh, I feel so that? old. I feel <laughs> so old. I do. I feel very aged at this moment in time. John Hughes yeah. roll over in your grave. Um, okay. Those movies so, are forty years old. That's I mean, you know, a while ago. Oh, oh my god! Like, I was born in the nineties. So John. like to <laughs> say that, yeah, like, we're hitting some sound well, points. He just ate here. the Breakfast Club. Okay. Charles, <laughs> how do people find your books and follow you on the social medias if they want to? How do they do that? 
Um, do people still go to websites? I have a website. I have charlesblackstone.com. <laughs> I know it's a very 90s thing to do, but people still do that. Yeah, well, 2000 something, but, <clears throat> and um, Instagram, um, Charles Blackstone, Twitter, C Blackstone. I don't do Facebook really anymore, mostly because they, um, I got locked out once and they took away my custom URL. So it says charles.blackstone.71 or something. And I was not born in 71. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't understand why that had to happen and who got the better URL, but I, so I, I don't, I don't publish something. I mean, if you go to my website, you can find your way there. I don't really post anything anymore on social media. Like I like Insta stories for some reason. Um, but you know, kind of, kind of, you know, doing the whole like, uh, here I am at this restaurant and look at what I'm eating. I, I take some of those pictures, but I don't, that, I don't like that. That is very, uh, very 2000 pictures <laughs> of your food, Charles. So as, as, as somebody who doesn't want to date themselves, you've mm. literally dated yourself by taking pictures of your food. No, can you hold up your book covers again <laughs> for everybody? So I we came with self-promotion. The books are Vintage Attraction. Um, and The Art of Friction. The, the Anthology. Okay. And then where all the end is during the week you were here. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. This is great. Um, lovely to share one and some great conversation about these, these words of life. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, this has been Ricky with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My Thanks.